Isaiah 55, verses 1 to 13. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty." but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Amen. Now's the time to grab a Bible. We're in Isaiah 55. In these church Bibles, uh, we're on page 743. 743. Happy New Year to you. Bloy the for those of you who I've not spoken to yet this New Year. Apparently yesterday, uh, the first Saturday of the New Year, was the busiest uh, day, it traditionally is the busiest day for booking summer holidays. <laughs> I don't know whether that was you yesterday, kind of clicking away, a chance to escape the uh, the cold and the gloom. At least it wasn't raining yesterday, uh, but um, it was a very popular day apparently online. Uh, and in just over a week, I think it's a week tomorrow, it's what's called Blue Monday. And I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It is apparently the most depressing day of the year. Uh, and that, that, that will be whatever the, the, the 
16th of um, January. Anyone's birthday on the 16th of January? Yes? William Thomas, excellent. Let's make it an excellent birthday for William. Um, It's cold, it's damp, Christmas is a long time ago, it's many, many months away. And uh, for those who are living for Christmas or who were living for the New Year experiences, which I guess a lot of us and a lot in our society uh, were and are doing, it's all a bit of a dim and distant, gloomy, fading past. But honestly, just to get to the the 16th of January or the the 7th of January, that's pretty good, isn't it? How long after Christmas Day do the presents keep shining bright? The shoes looked so amazing when they were on the shelf and when they were in a box, and now you've been waiting, okay, they're not that good. That toy I was longing for, my child was longing for, it's been made, it's broken already, the batteries have worn down, lost the cable to charge up again, and the, the, the allure, the sparkle has gone. Maybe the, the food and the drink has, has long gone and we're on to diet mode now. And you think, what? Is that it? So many people approach life that way, don't they? Anticipating the next big thing. They're going to set their hope and set their heart on. And the high literally lasts until it's been opened. That's acquiring new things, whether it's achieving success academically. Maybe some of you achieved great success last year or are planning to do your GCSEs or A-levels or degree or professional qualifications this year and you set high targets for yourself. Or musically, you've down to take grade three, grade five, grade eight. You're just going to go and push on and perform. Maybe in the sporting arena, you set your heart on this. How long will the high last? One of my sporting heroes is Johnny Wilkinson. Thank you very much. Um, Age 23, kicking that glorious... Picture it now, the drop goal for England to win the Rugby World Cup in 2003. A few cheers, yes, thank you. A few cheers, one or two, one or two. Um, you, I'm sure have heard this. This is what he wrote about. By that point, I ticked off every goal I'd set myself. That final was my Hollywood ending. I walked into the sunset after that game. The credits came up. And the next morning, I woke up and could not have felt more empty. Wow. He was a World Cup hero. He was a heartthrob in chief. One of the greatest stories in British sporting history. But rather than bathe in glory, he sank and sank and sank into depression. Quote, you realise that the credits come up on the film and it's not like the next film starts with the hero waking up in bed and he's got a bad knee and no food in the fridge. And it just wasn't what it was cracked up to be. But what if in 2024 there was something to get out of bed for? Even on Blue Monday, even when it's not your fifth birthday. Imagine something that so captivates you and grabs you and inspires you to get you through that day and every day of this year and every year. Imagine if there's something that could grab you like that. Well, friends, guess what? Isaiah 55 promises exactly that. 
promises exactly that. So please, let's get those Bibles open. 743, if they've got closed. It's a glorious passage. Last week, we moved. We've been thinking a bit about Christmas, according to Isaiah. Um, last week, we uh, moved out of Isaiah chapters 1 to 39 into what is often understood as section 2 of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 to 55. So um, Isaiah chapter uh, 1 to 39 is really asking the question, where do you turn when under threat? Where do you turn when under threat? So in those early chapters of Isaiah, Isaiah is, this is his spoken ministry, his contemporaries around him in 740 to 700 BC. And he's speaking to them and he's urging them to trust the Lord because they were enormously tempted to not trust the Lord, but to trust other nations. You see, they were under pressure. There was pressure from Assyria sweeping in on them uh, from the east. There was pressure from Israel in the north pushing down on them. And the question is, where do you turn when you're under pressure? Do you find the nearest ally you can see and team up with them and maybe kind of stand up against Assyria that way? Do you find another nation, another God, another thing to get you through the night when you're under pressure? And it's a really important question for us to ask. Where do we turn in 2024 when we are under pressure? We will be at times, maybe even today, we are under pressure. Where are we turning? Are we turning to the other nations, the other idols, the other priorities, the other values that, the, that our culture says? Look to that place. Look to that place. Find hope there. Is that where we turn? Or do we look to the Lord when under pressure? Because uh, the pressure was coming partly because of these nations, but partly the people were so rebellious, the Lord eventually said, look, you're not trusting in me. You're trusting in other gods, other religions, other priorities. And so you're going to be exiled and taken out of your land and sent over to Babylon. And uh, the next big section of the book of Isaiah... We said this last week. It's as if Isaiah wrote down Isaiah 40 to 55 and buried it in the ground. And uh, on top of the, 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 the box, there's a little signpost saying, open when in exile. Because this was written specifically for a few generations after his contemporaries who would end up in exile. This is in the 580s um, BC. And they were taken away into Babylon. And at that point... They didn't repent. They didn't trust the Lord. They trusted in other gods, other religions. And so God judged them, put them on detention for for 70 years, put them out of exile in Babylon. And uh, the question here is, how will God rescue his people? And the resounding answer really that comes in Isaiah chapter 40 to 55 And uh, if you're anything like me over Christmas, you have Handel's Messiah on loop. It will remind you that the answer, how God rescues his people, is through his servant, the suffering servant of the Lord. And there were lots of lovely little songs about this servant and what he will do in Isaiah 40 to 55. Next Sunday morning, God willing, we have another former Highfield staff member, Dave Fielder, coming to preach for us. And he's going to be speaking on Isaiah 53, a famous servant song. But we're jumping ahead to Isaiah 55 and we're seeing the effects of being rescued by this servant. What does it look like for God to rescue his people? What will it mean for us today? And I think in these verses we will get a vision of something that might just inspire you 
where the spark will never fade and it will never be dulled again. Uh, We sang, didn't we, that lovely uh, song, Bright, bright are the treasures life will offer to me, but whatever the treasure, my God is all I need. And that's really the message of Isaiah chapter 55, that whatever the pleasures of the world, the greatest treasure is knowing God personally. And that's really our first point. We've got three points we're going to look at in our short time together this morning. Here's our first lesson. The greatest offer in all the world is to know God personally. The greatest offer in all the world is to know God personally. And that's in verses 1 to 5 of Isaiah 55. And if you've got your Bible open, you will have observed, as Margaret read it for us, and as you just look your eye over the text there, let's have our noses on the text, we will see lots and lots of offer kind of language. Imperative, urging the people to engage in what is being said. But this isn't the, the kind of the, the sales pitch of a holiday provider trying to get you to click on them or flashing up the latest, greatest thing in 2024 that will outweigh what was so rubbish just a month ago at Christmas time. The new car, the new shoes, the new toy, the new gadget, the new Apple product, whatever it may be. Now, this greatest offer in all the world is to know God personally. Let's try and see how Isaiah makes that case. We've been planning uh, our big church day in for a few months um, and uh, uh, the hog roast, which is coming in uh, a bit later on, I don't know whether the smell of of pig will start floating up the chapel and that will incentivise me to get a move on in my sermon. Um, But there's a ton of pig and a ton of salads loads and loads of salads have, have been prepared in the in the kitchen in the in the the fridges loads and loads of foods for for all, all um for all of you if you'd like to join us and we've been inviting people to come over i think 250 people have, if i sign up loads of people have signed up there's place for you if you want to come and just sign up on the welcome desk but isaiah 55 is an even greater welcome than that four times we read in Uh, those early verses the word come have a look down can you spot those words four comes you see them all in verse one look down come all you are thirsty come to the waters and you have no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without cost why the descriptions as Isaiah gives them well I think come all you who are thirsty come to the waters that's to make us feel thirsty and to identify and highlight our sense of inadequacy our sense of need for refreshment maybe you've been on a long walk or a run or you've just done some activity and you're gasping for a drink and you think oh get me a drink and you have a what oh yes so refreshing so simple a glass of water but it does so much good come all you are thirsty come to the waters and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. This is an offer for the wealthy, but for the not wealthy too. For anyone, every one of us, not just those of us who can afford it. It's an offer for us all, rich and poor. Whether you have anything in your bank balance, and it's not really talking about your physical bank balance, it's talking about your spiritual bank balance. Whether you feel like you contribute anything to God or contribute nothing to God, you can come, come. Come, come, come. Come by wine and milk, end of verse 1. Without money and without cost. It's for the young, 
who drink milk. It's for the old who drink wine. And both milk and wine are associated with luxury. So if you remember when the, the, the people were promised to go into the promised land, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Milk is, is, a, is a luxurious good and, and wine brings joy and blessing. It's far, far more than the very, very good and wonderfully refreshing water. It's not just stale bread and kind of plain old water. Wine, milk, abundance, joy. Then as I move to challenge his readers to the folly of wasting their money on things that have no value. So again, verse two, why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? And that is a very good word for 2024. What are the kinds of things people are going to be spending their money themselves on this year? How much of those things will really satisfy How much of the things in 2024, which we get really, really worked up about, stressed over, whether an item of food or clothing or an experience or something that our particular team is doing or not doing in the league that matters for you or the political party that you're setting your hopes for or not, why labour on what does not satisfy Plenty of things in this world that do not satisfy. Most of them will not satisfy you. Few people capture this better than our old friend C.S. Lewis. It's the New Year, so the number of C.S. Lewis quotes you are allowed is a certain number, but at the New Year it resets. So on on January the 7th you get a a brand new load of opportunity to quote C.S. Lewis. So uh, this is him in Weight of Glory, a famous essay he once wrote, which you can Google for free, and it'll be a very, very good use of a, of a Blue Monday next week. Have a read. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Far too easily pleased with the things of this world, the, the, the pleasures of this world, whatever the treasures may be. You don't need them. My God is all I need. So, what exactly is this thing which satisfies? Is it a holiday in the sun that we've cons- We've reserved and booked even on January the 6th. No. It's an Olympic glory. World Cup glory. Nope. The perfect mouthful of food. Nope, that won't satisfy. The perfect experience. The perfect body. The perfect complexion. The perfect health diagnosis. Nope, 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 nope. None of these will satisfy. You know, you can have all of those and not be satisfied. And the greatest and the wealthiest and the most successful people in this world, many of them are not satisfied. And guess what? You can lose all of those things and yet be satisfied. Well, how is this? What is this satisfaction you're offering, Dave? Well, let's come to verse 2, working our way slowly through Isaiah 55. And we swap the repetition of come to a repetition of listen, because the invitation on offer is not so much about food. Food was a metaphor, but the real deal is fellowship. The real deal is fellowship. Listen, listen to me, halfway down verse 2, and eat what is good and you'll delight in the richest of fare. So listening to God 
is being kind of paralleled with eating what is good, delighting in the richest affair, give ear and come to me, listen that you may live. See, Isaiah is assuring his readers that it's as they come to him that they find life. In isolation in Babylon, far from home, they might have been tempted to think that God had forgotten them. That God was a million, million miles away. Maybe they were tempted to assimilate with their Babylonian neighbours and start worshipping the gods that their neighbours did and loving the loves that their neighbours loved. Certainly, they had been tempted with everything that Babylon had to offer. Do you remember in Babylon, God's menu is very different from the world's menu. Remember in Daniel chapter 1, when we read of the first load of exiles who were whisked away into Babylon... What's on offer? Babylonian food that will make you strong and successful and, 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 and uh, mature. But no, says Daniel and his friends, we're going to reject that food. We're not going to have Babylon saying we made you strong. We're going to trust in the Lord and eat what seems to have been a much weaker, thinner diet. But they choose to do it and come out being much, much stronger than everyone else. The world says to us, let us feed you on our values. Imbibe and embrace and imbue and take in our priorities, our isms, our loves, our convictions. And if you do that, you'll be nourished. You'll be blessed. You'll be built up. We will make you strong. We will make you firm. We will make you steadfast. And God says, ah, no, let me feed you. Let me do the feeding and I'll feed you with myself the bread of life and the water of life the world says if you don't eat at our table you're nothing the Lord says come and eat at my table I'll feed you and satisfy you and Isaiah here now spells out what it means to know God it means knowing God's promise his king and himself let's look at him knowing God's promise I will make an everlasting covenant with you he's halfway down verse 3 My faithful love promised to David. In exile, they'd thought very possibly that God had forgotten them. He never forgets us. He never forgets or fails to keep his promise. All who come to him, he'll never cast away. Those he's begun a good work in, he will complete until the day of Christ Jesus. If God is for us, nothing can be against us. That's God's promise for us. No God's promise, no God's king. Here Isaiah is referring to David. Isaiah 40 to 55, speaking of the servant of the Lord, this great messianic promise, it's fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. King David's great, 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 times 12 grandson, Jesus. I look down in verse 14. See, I have made him, that's David. I think speaking of that which will be ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. See, I've made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander to the peoples. And then in Isaiah uh, chapter 55, verse 5, Isaiah addresses this uh, figure himself. So where we see the word, surely you, the you there is a singular. So most commentators think that he's speaking directly to the servant. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you. This is indicating that God's king, the great, great, great descendant of David, will summon people to know him. And worship him from all over the world. 
And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did, as people from all over the known world came to worship him. And it's what he is continuing to do today from his throne in heaven. And this is saying that one day people from all over the world, every tribe and language and nation will come and bow at his feet. People from the the Fulani of Nigeria or the Sheikh of Bangladesh, the Brahmin of India, the neighbours on your street, all these people are invited to come and know God personally. They'll be drawn by God himself. Have a look down again, you'll see, end of verse 5. Surely you'll summon nations you know not, nations who you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, who has endowed you with splendour. Friends, these are glorious words to meditate on at the start of a new year. And I wonder how splendorous, how wonderful, how majestic the Lord Jesus Christ is to you right now. Is he that special? Is he that wondrous? Is he that glorious? Is knowing him that good? See, if if we were sitting here in a service this morning and we're ramming our faces full of Haribo as I speak, or we're ramming our faces with Pringles as we speak, um, and then a hog roast is coming, and loads and loads of lovely salads, and you think, yeah, I can't eat a thing. I've just stuffed my face with Haribo. And Pringles all morning, and I can't eat a thing. You know, it's very possible to ram our mouths full of the pleasures of this world. And we'll find ourselves dulled to the delight of knowing God, the God of holiness and glory and honour and love and beauty and majesty and faithfulness and selflessness. The most glorious thing in the world. We'll lose our love for him. Point one, the greatest offer in the world is to know God personally. Let's speed up a little bit. Point two, it'll cost you nothing and it'll cost you everything to accept it. What do I mean? Well, the offer of knowing God is both free and not free. On the one hand, it will cost you nothing because it costs Jesus everything. As I said, next week, God willing, Dave Field will be preaching from Isaiah 53. And there we will find out how God can make friends offer fellowship with people who've turned their backs on him. And we'll be studying maybe one of the most famous Old Testament passages in the world. For that passage where we learn that this servant gave up his life, was pierced for our transgressions. That the punishment that brought us peace with God was laid on Jesus. So for us to get to know God, it's free for us, but it was not free for him. If someone once said that evangelism, sharing your faith, is like one beggar telling another beggar where there's food. All we are is beggars. All we bring to the table is our unworthiness. Empty hands, failures, or our attempts to be satisfied in any and every other way. That's what we bring to the table, because God brings to the table everything we need. He has paid the price completely as he dies on the cross for us, paying for our sins that we might know him and love him and be reunited with him forever. And so we're invited to, in verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Again, another powerful verse for us. Maybe a verse for you if you are here today and you don't yet know Jesus Christ as your saviour and your friend. This year, 2024, is this the year? For you to seek the Lord and to find him while he is near. 
So here, at this point, it's like the NHS, free at the point of need. You don't need to pay a penny before you get treated and helped. But then verse 7. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the righteous, unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. You see, to accept the offer of knowing God will cost you everything. And it will cost you nothing. It will cost you nothing on the one hand, it's a free gift, but it will cost you everything at the same time. What do I mean? We've already prayed for the flooding, loads of flooding, tragically over the last few weeks. Imagine you were lost at sea, stranded. And uh, then you're helpless, maybe you're in a car and it's stranded and you're lost. Or maybe you're in a boat and it's stranded and you're lost and you've got no hope of rescue on your own. Far too far to swim to shore, too cold too dangerous, with a young family maybe. And, and then you see a helicopter circling above and they're lowering a rope and the offer is to take hold of the rope and you'll be safe. For as long as you are clinging hold on your car or your boat, as long as you're holding on to anything else, you are not going to be rescued. You've got to let go of the car or let go of the boat to take hold of the rope. You can't have one in each hand. It won't work. It's too big. So too, clinging on to Jesus to save you will involve turning from whatever else you were once clinging on to to save you, to satisfy you, to fulfil you. Anything and everything else that will do, that fails to deliver, fails to satisfy To use biblical language, it's the language of repentance. Again, verse 7, let the wicked forsake their ways, that's their behaviours, and the unrighteous their thoughts, that's their opinions and their inner life, their outer life, their inner life. Will God hold our outer life and our inner life against us? Will he hold a grudge as he wheels us into the helicopter as we cling on? Does he endlessly rub our nose in the dirt of our failures at times we were selfish and proud? In 2023, maybe even in 2024, he's rubbing our nose in. You were so self-centred there, Dave. You're so lustful and so greedy. Not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. Have a look again, verse 7. Second half, let them, let us, let you turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. To our God, he will freely pardon. What love could remember no wrongs we have done. Omniscient and all-knowing. It's not that he's forgotten them. He counts not their sum thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. The greatest offer, friends, in all the world is to know God personally. It'll cost you nothing and it'll cost you everything to accept. So I just want to ask you very simply the question, are you holding on to other things that are causing you to not hold on to Christ? You can't hold on to both. And be safe. So maybe that's a question for yourself. Maybe a friend or a family member can say, I just wonder whether you're holding a bit too tight onto that. You can't hold onto that and Christ at the same time. Point three, we're nearly done. It'll cost you nothing, it'll cost you everything to accept it, but God's ways and his word will guarantee it's, it'll be worth it. God's ways and his word will guarantee it'll be worth it. It's a lovely conclusion to the chapter. Isaiah's been talking about how our 
ways need to be forsaken and how we need to return to God. And that may seem a bit of a risk. The idea of walking away from your own ways. You're so familiar with your ways. Forsaking your ways is a bit disoriented. I don't know how to be me, but not on my ways. I don't know how to return to God. That's a bit of a scary idea. I like doing my own thing and not being on God's ways and in God's, God's path. Well, this is what Isaiah says. He says, don't be surprised. You won't find it easy, but God's ways are not our ways. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You may not understand what God is doing in 2024, but his ways are best. And they will mean letting go of you holding on to your ways as if you were Lord and Saviour of your life and holding on to Jesus as Lord and Saviour of your life. He knows best. His ways are higher and greater. His thoughts are higher and greater than yours. I've been reading Harry Potter with a uh, Barney, and we've just finished it just before Christmas, and uh, won't do any spoilers, but you will know that one of the big themes in, in the Harry Potter stories is the fact that Dumbledore has a higher plan, much higher than what Harry understands is taking place, or what, what he thinks Snape is doing, what he thinks Dumbledore's own future is about. And uh, in, the, in the running of the story, Harry is completely confused, and he thinks, what are you doing? This is happening to me, why on earth am I experiencing this? And yet, Dumbledore knows. And right at the end of the the book, Dumbledore reveals his plan. He had a higher plan all the way through. It may be that right now you are feeling like a character in a story. You think, I don't know what is going on. I've got to let go of something. I've got to hold fast to Jesus, which feels very risky. I've got to let go of my own values and priorities. I've got to hold fast to his. That's a risky thing. Am I going to put my future in his hands in 2024 rather than guarantee it myself he says trust me my ways are higher than your ways I've got a plan I know what I'm doing I know with the end from the beginning you're just a little way into the story trust me and wait keep trusting in me and his word will assure us that it's worth it as well that's how the passage concludes remember we were saying how the Lord is urged to return to the Lord Or listen to how he describes his own word. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and make it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So whenever God's word goes out, it does its work and then returns. Just like we're called to return to the Lord. We find that a scary thing. How on earth could I return to the Lord? Well, let's allow God's word to be at work in our lives. If we allow God's word to be at work in our lives in 2024, we will find ourselves increasingly aligning our ways with God's. We'll find ourselves increasingly returning to the Lord as his word pulls us back home, which is such an encouragement for us. And I hope it's an encouragement for you, because here at Highfields, we love God's word. We want to teach and uh, study and preach and discuss God's word with each other all the time. And this passage for me is a great encouragement because it tells me that whenever we do that, whether that's on a Sunday sermon 
or in a small group Bible study or simply when you're meeting with a friend and uh, you're discussing what you've been reading in your quiet time, you're sharing a bit of the Bible with each other. Or maybe you're a Sunday school leader and you're preparing a, a class. And by the way, you know, on Sunday, it's not childcare. Parents in here, the children just get kind of entertained. They are studying the Bible at an age-appropriate level. And each of those times, the Bible is opened and studied, small groups, one-on-one, large groups. God's word is at work, and it will always draw his people back to him. It'll always bear fruit in our lives. We can have great confidence it will be worth treasuring God more than anything else, because his word will prove himself to be true. So when you get up early and prepare a study that you're leading later that day, or when you find yourself up late at night snipping out bits of paper to get ready to teach to children on a Sunday morning, or you're scratching your head trying to understand what that passage means in preparation for a life group or a 20s or a student study, that is good, worthwhile time because you're cutting along the grain of God's word which will always yield a return. It will always do amazing things. And you'll see where the passage concludes, 12 to 13. The, the, the renewal of God's people when God's word has fully done its business. You'll go out in joy. You'll be led forth in peace. The mountains, the hills will burst into song before you. All the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. An everlasting sign that will endure forever. It's a kind of new creation language, isn't it? As God's word has got to work in and amongst his people. However old, men and women, boys and girls, whether you're familiar with Bible study or totally new, as God's word does the work, so we become a redeemed people of God. Well, that's the vision. That is the offer of Isaiah 55. We've got Blue Monday coming up a week on Monday. Happy birthday to William. I hope it's a great day for us all as well as for him. But I hope it's a good day, not just because it's a birthday for some of us, but because we renew our conviction not to hold fast to a thing or an experience or a relationship or success, but we renew our conviction in 2024 that we will hold fast to the Lord. The greatest offer in all the world, friends, is to know God personally. It will cost you nothing and it will cost you everything to accept it. But God's ways and his word will guarantee it's worth it. Let's have a moment of quietness and then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that as your word goes out, it always accomplishes your plans and your purposes. Lord, we praise you for this. We thank you that you're in control, that your ways are higher than our ways. When we don't understand what you're doing, you are Lord and you are God. We pray, please help us to hold fast to you today and every day of this year. Thank you for the offer to know you personally. We pray, please, would you draw near to us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.